Welcome to the OTP number two. I'm Mike Keith, joined by Amy Wells, who has just arrived back from Tuscaloosa, where she has been at Alabama's Pro Day, which was on Wednesday. Mm-hmm. Why does Alabama do their Pro Day 48 hours after the NFL Combine ends? It feels early, right? Sure. Um, but there are a couple theories. Number one is presumably these guys are in the best shape of maybe their lives. And instead of having to wait a couple weeks, maintain that, they're already good to go. So if anyone is not happy with their combine performance, anyone didn't have the opportunity to perform at the combine, they can just do it right then. Boom. Yeah. Number two, another theory, is that it gets it out of the way. So spring break is coming up. Spring ball is coming up. Most important for Nick Saban. (laughs) Exactly. That's what Nick Saban really cares about is the upcoming football season. This gets everyone out of the way. They have their facilities. All thoughts are on the 2018 season. Nobody's worried about preparing for a pro day. All right. Give me a couple of quick thoughts about what you saw at Alabama's pro day that jumped out to you. I saw that a lot of guys were not working out. Um, There were a lot of people who were there for meetings, not a ton of people who were participating in drills. There were six guys who ran or did bench press or things like that. Only 13 guys who went through workouts at all, and a lot of them were doing individual work with specific teams who were interested in that specific position. A couple guys who stood out to me, Deshaun Hand is incredibly athletic for his size. Defensive lineman. Yeah, the guy's 6'4", 297, but is very fit, and he moves fast. I was impressed by him. I was also impressed by linebacker Rashawn Evans. He is a... uh, violent player I think is the best way that I can describe the way that he moves they told him to hit like any sort of tackling dummy or anything and he just barreled over those things it was incredible to watch Um, so those were the guys that kind of stuck out to me and then probably the reason that I was so focused on defensive players is because Mike Vrabel got in there and was working out with these guys. I'm sure a lot of people have seen on Twitter the videos and the pictures of him with the pads on his arms, and he was wailing on people. I'm excited to see Mike Vrabel work out with his own players because if it's anything like the way he works out with strangers, it's going to be pretty awesome. Good stuff. Good stuff from Tuscaloosa. Uh, From here, free agency is in our direct view. Starts next Wednesday at 3 p.m. Central Time. We thought this would be a great time to look at the AFC South, a division that figures to be a huge player in what happens because there is big-time salary cap room within this division. We think three of the top eight teams in the NFL in available salary cap room are in the AFC South. So we're going to look around the division, visiting with three of the very best for their preview, Aaron Wilson from the Houston Chronicle, Stephen Holder, Indianapolis Star, Ryan O'Halloran with the Florida Times Union. We enjoyed talking with them at the Combine, and we hope you'll enjoy their thoughts as well. But first, we take a look at your Tennessee Titans with our guy, TitansOnline.com senior writer-editor Jim Wyatt. All right, Jimmy, Titans uh, let four guys go at the end of the week. Eric Weems is one. Backup quarterback Matt Castle is another. Backup safety, Denora Searcy, the third. 
But the one that came earliest and the one that was the big news of the week, DeMarco Murray to be released, do a $6 million-plus salary coming off an injury-riddled 2017, average just 3-6 a carry. I don't think anybody's really surprised by this. Still, John Robinson went out of his way to handle the release with as much class as possible because the respect for DeMarco Murray is immense here at St. Thomas Sports Park. Jim, you have a unique perspective on Titans players because you work for the team. You see them in the locker room, the training room, the cafeteria, the halls, etc. Having seen DeMarco Murray in action both on and off the field, why, in your opinion, did this guy garner so much respect? He's just a true pro. I mean, we've both seen a ton of free agents come in here. Some of them work out, some of them don't. You know, and that's a tricky thing about free agents. When you sign free agents is you, you don't know exactly what you're going to get. Uh, you know, there were a lot of questions about DeMarco Murray when he came from Philadelphia, just about his personality, how he would fit in. He was an ultimate, ultimate pro here, just the way he handled himself. He's part of the reason the locker room culture started to change. I'll never forget his first training camp out there. Uh, and he was, he would kind of point guys, uh, not only point in the right direction, but he would be critical of them if he saw they weren't doing things the right way. I still remember him talking to some of the young receivers saying, hey, Des Bryant used to do things like this. I think initially some guys were thinking, hey, what's, what's this guy doing trying to tell me how to do my job? But if you watched him work, you watched how he handled himself, you had to respect him. And I think guys kind of fell in line. Uh, it wasn't just him, but he was a big part of it. And, uh, uh, he was out here working on Tuesdays. He put the extra time in uh, to try to get himself ready to play. Even when he was hurt, he wanted to play. Uh, he, he was a great pro while he was here with the Titans. You know, you mentioned the culture change, and obviously there's no question DeMarco Murray was a huge part of the whole turnaround for this Titans organization. But he was also a huge part of John Robinson establishing himself as a general manager that meant business. I mean, this trade happens pretty soon after his introductory press conference he's saying hey we're going to be making a splash we're not afraid oh by the way i made this trade for demarco murray who for titans fans they know who demarco murray is they know that he's a right. productive player they know that this is a big deal and so that kind of not only put this titans organization on the map but put john robinson on the map as a guy who knows what he's doing as a brand new general manager yeah and some people say well you know you traded for him and you only got two years out of him he did what john robinson wanted him to do and that again that's helped change the culture he had a tremendous first year here in 2016 when he went to the pro bowl uh you know again john robinson made a smart move in drafting derrick henry when he did that's a move that a lot of people question what are you doing drafting derrick henry when you've got demarco murray well this is why you drafted derrick henry because now he gets an opportunity but murray uh you know just it, I, again go back to how he handled himself and how, he, how guys fell in line he, he had a different personality i mean he, he wasn't surly but but he sometimes you had to uh kind of tread lightly when you head to headed toward his locker because he was a serious guy that didn't mean doesn't mean he didn't have fun I mean we all know he's he was the DJ on the plane on the way back from games he kind of let guys know when it's time to be serious and when it's time to have fun and after big wins he'd get the tunes cranking uh sometimes not too far uh behind us on the plane and let guys know hey you earned this time let's celebrate a little bit tone setter yes I think that's exactly what you're saying in your comment. The other thing, too, let's go back to John Robinson for a second. He gives him the contract extension to leave Philadelphia as part of the trade. 
which cost the Titans, what, 13 spots, 14 spots in the fourth round, something. They changed spots with Philadelphia. But the contract was set up where he is being let go, and he's no dead money against the cap. The contract was always set up to basically be a two-year deal. And as the Titans let these players go, as they let Cersei go, Weems go, Castle go, and Murray go, almost no dead money used up in making those decisions as the Titans take their salary cap available number over $50 million. Yeah, and, and all these guys are kind of going at a time when they have players. You know, they'll have to find another backup uh, to take Matt Castle's place, and that'll come either in free agency, that'll come in the draft. But the pieces are in place. You know, th- this team has you know good depth of safety. You'll continue to build on that. Obviously, Jonathan Cyprian signed last offseason. Kevin Byard, a Pro Bowl safety. Brendan Trawick. Uh, you know, certainly depth, and they need to add more there. But uh, uh, John Robbins has done a really good job in where you look around the league and see some teams taking big hits when they release players with the dead money. That's not happening here. I want to say again, the Titans, as we have it, now back over $50 million in available salary cap room with the four departures. We don't know the exact number because, honestly, this has just happened and we haven't had a chance to put it all together. And math remember, is hard. Math is hard. Yeah. Remember that when the league year starts next week, you must be under the $177 million salary cap for your top 51 salaries. Now, that form of the salary cap, cap runs almost six months, really until the preseason ends. And at that point, all 53 salaries, practice squad, any other dollars start to count against the cap. So the Titans are, are obviously in good shape. Oh, absolutely they are. But I want to talk about specific positions because I'm not good at numbers and I still want to participate in the conversation. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, the Tennessee Titans are going to need another running back. They just are. Jim, do you think we get that in free agency? Do you think we get that in the draft? Do we maybe try and get one in both spots? Maybe both. If I had to bet on it, I'd probably say the draft just because you look at success uh, that, that teams have had getting players in the draft and having having them be productive early. The running back spot's different than receiver where it takes guys a couple of years to kind of get comfortable and be productive. In, in the NFL, you're seeing young backs make a big impact early. And uh, so I don't know that, you know, free agency – uh, there's a guy that you want to take on that's that's a couple of years into his career. Maybe, you know, maybe it could happen, but I think this team likes David Fluellen. Well, I think that's uh, what we're going to yeah. find out is how much they like David yeah. Fluellen. We know we know Sylvester Croom liked him. We know uh, you know certainly that Mike Malarkey liked him. But uh, I know Mike Vrabel in talking about the running backs of the combine mentioned Fluellen. I know John Robinson has praised him before. So uh, I, I think Fluellen's presence here uh, will calls a team to pick one in the draft, and uh, but we'll see if something happens before. Well, there's game. a tremendous market in the draft. We know that. There are some available players in free agency who would make sense. I don't think that's a surprise if the Titans go there. But, Amy, to every person with whom we spoke about the draft, running backs, running backs, running backs, the feeling is you're going to be able to get one not just in the draft, but as an undrafted rookie as well. Well, consistently in the draft, you talk about running backs always seem to fall. And sure. you seem to get good players in later rounds than you would ever suspect that you would. And obviously some undrafted free agents as well. So there will for sure be people who I'm sure the team can get. But 
I think, let's see, I'm going to turn to quarterback. The feeling I have is they're going to go get a veteran. Right now, they have Marcus Mariota under contract. They have Alex Tanney under contract. They have Tyler Ferguson under contract. Brandon Whedon, who was here for a good bit of last year, is an unrestricted free agent. They could re-sign him. But when you look at this veteran quarterback market, it looks great for potential backups. Yeah, and the thing is, is you know who your starter is. Now you just want to kind of groom a guy that's closer to maybe what Marcus Mariotti is. I mean, I think that's one of the things with Castle. Obviously, he's, he's been in the league 13 years, you know, 35 years old. Uh, you know, they need to get younger at that position. But also, I don't know that he's necessarily a system fit. And, and I wonder about Whedon, you know, projecting whether, you know, on, on maybe what happens with him. So now I think maybe you find a guy – who is closer to what you want to do on offense. And maybe maybe it's a little bit more like uh, Marcus Mariota. Well, is there an argument to be made with that idea that you're looking for someone to fit a specific system and Marcus's system that you maybe get a guy that's in the draft, some someone who falls to the later rounds, bring in a young or, guy or that could you, you can do both? groom up? If you do both, then you're committing yourself to having three quarterbacks on the roster. And I'm not saying this team won't do that, but I think if, if you do draft one and you have a, a veteran – you know, you want to get both those guys up to speed in camp and during the course of offseason. So I think it would make it tougher to part ways with one of them uh, come September. That's a really great point. And it's also interesting, too, because being that we had been with Mike Malarkey and that staff for a couple years, we sort of understood how his roster might break down, that they might give Dick LeBeau a few more defensive backs on the roster. Generally, 25 on offense, 25 on defense, three specialists. In, you know, the Titans would vary that some. They might go 23 and t- 23 on offense, 27 on defense, whatever. We don't really know how Mike Vrabel and his staff are going to utilize personnel to what they may need. So that's going to be something we absolutely have to watch, which is why keeping three quarterbacks is a real question. Yeah, and it, I'm curious to see how it plays out with those two. I mean, I, obviously – the more you can do. I mean, they're going to want to have guys who can, you know, the thing about Weems is he was a, you know, he was a good special teams player, maybe wasn't great uh, in his time here, certainly had better seasons during his NFL career, but that's pretty much all he could do. I mean, he caught one pass for five yards during his time here. They need guys that can help you at receiver and on special teams. I mean, you're going to have to show some value to stay on this roster. Titans right now have six wide receivers under contract. Rashard Matthews, Corey Davis, Darius Jennings, Tajay Sharp, Taewon Taylor, and Zach Paschal. So I think it's pretty clear. I shouldn't say that. I don't know what John Robinson's thinking. But it seems, from looking at the numbers, that go-getting a veteran or veterans in free agency at wide receiver would make a lot of sense for the Titans. Agree, disagree, am I off base? Oh, I absolutely agree. I think that you see a lot of young talent in this group of six right now. I mean, Richard is kind of the old guy in the room all of a sudden. Um, I think you need another veteran who, if nothing else, can be the guy that is kind of a Harry Douglas type who helps guys along, who helps them learn the system, who helps them establish those kind of professional habits. And obviously, Richard can do that, but Richard is also a big impact player on the field. So you need someone else that I think can do a little bit of both. Yeah, and, I, and I, this is one where I can see, you know, one coming in free agency, one coming in the draft. Uh, but this team has used. I mean, I get on Twitter a lot of times, you know, who's this team needs to go out, get, get, go out and get a number one receiver. I still think. 
Corey Davis can be a number one receiver. I do too. Uh, yep. I think Rashard Matthews has proven that he can be very productive. This team has some young talent in Taylor and Sharp, you know, in addition to, in addition to Davis. Uh, I, th- I think a veteran added to the group would certainly help, but I think it's, uh, you know, it's a draft where you can get a guy, you know, Third, you know, third day that you can continue to groom as well that maybe gives you a little bit of something different. The other reason that a veteran would make a lot of sense in free agency is because Richard Matthews is going into the last year of his three-year deal with the Titans. Yep. So, uh, you know, he has been a solid pro mm-hmm. during his time here, but, uh, you know, this is, uh, this is a time where you're curious to see how John Robinson approaches this because he's got cap room. Uh, he's also proven he's not afraid to make a trade. I'm not suggesting he's making a trade for a receiver. Just saying he, he'll, he'll explore every avenue that's out there. And remember, the Titans have the first pick of the draft for them at number 25. Their final pick comes at 199. They have six draft picks overall, do not have a seventh-round pick because they traded with Kansas City for David King. Staying on offense for just a minute, what are the Titans going to do at guard? I think they're going to try to get uh, something worked out with Josh Klein, and uh, you know, and obviously they've got uh, Quentin Spain, who's a restricted free agent uh, since he was undrafted. I mean, it makes it a little bit uh, trickier with him and and trying to uh, to keep him. But uh, if another team comes after him, but I think that's another spot where it happens. Uh, no matter what happens with Klein, I mean, because Brian Swinky, uh his contract is up as well. Uh, I think that one is addressed in free agency and the draft. We saw that group, I guess, take a little bit of a step backwards in 2017, but still a solid offensive line. Do you do the best that you can to try and keep those guys intact because chemistry is such a big part of that position and them being successful? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I look at it, man, I know there's, uh, you know, Lawan obviously going to be back. Jack Conklin is going to be back. It's just a matter of when, uh, of, yeah, when he's going to be physically ready to go. I think Ben Jones is a fit for this offense moving forward. Uh, again, I think Klein is, is a fit in the new, uh, what's going to be asked of him in a new scheme. Uh, and But I think some pieces will be added. Uh, you know, you don't want to have a complete overhaul, but I think you want to keep, some of those players because they're they're good players. If you study the depth chart, the other position that really jumps out to you is linebacker. Inside linebacker, Wesley Woodyard, Nate Palmer, Darren Bates, Jayon Brown. Four players under contract for two starting spots, and Jayon is the nickel. He's about 218 pounds, so is he an every-down inside linebacker? That's yet to be determined. Avery Williamson is an unrestricted free agent. One way or the other, the Titans are, are going to have to look into what's going on at inside linebacker in the upcoming free agency period and or the draft. Yeah, and I think you know, I'm curious myself to see what Avery's market's going to be or if he hits the market. I mean, I, that's the thing about him is, is I have seen a number of teams linked to Avery about how he would be a good fit there. Uh, you know, the what used to be – the, the tamping period, what used to be illegal, is that having conversations leading up to free agency. Now it's it's fair game. It's the legal tampering period now. So he'll get an idea the early part of next week on what his market's going to be. Uh, he grew up in West Tennessee. Uh, we all know that. He loves 
you know, playing for the Titans. He loves being close enough where his dad and his family can come and see him play at Nissan Stadium on Sundays. He went to the University of Kentucky. You know he wants to be in this region of the country, but it doesn't always work out that way. Uh, you know, so uh, I'm sure that John Robinson, Mike Vrabel, you know, Vin Marino, who, who works at contracts, they have an idea of maybe what the range will be for him. And I, uh, I think they'll try to make it work. But he's also earned the right to to test the waters as well, and uh, that's one going to see have to see how that one plays out. And, and depending on what happens with him, that obviously is going to affect where the team goes in free agency. Avery has definitely earned the right. I hope he does not take it. <laughs> I would be I would be very sad just from there are guys in the locker room that are super easy to work with. Avery Williamson is one of those. He's so one for of the me, best. I would be very sad. But also looking at this list, you've got some older fellas at this spot. Wesley Woodyard <laughs> yeah. is not a young guy anymore. Yes. He had a great year last year. Had a great year. year. Best year of his career. But it was also year 10 for him. That's a, lo- a long time. Nate Palmer is not as young as he once was. Darren Bates is younger but is not super young. So Avery is a guy who has experience, has been successful, but also has a lot of years in front of him. That's true. But it's a position, inside linebacker is also a position where guys normally fall in the draft. It is devalued because normally one of those spots only plays two downs. And if you're playing a passing team, that player won't play 50% of the snaps in a game. So it's very specialized. Do you want to tie up a good bit of money there? And that's going to be some of the concern because, listen, Titans are going to have to go out and get safety depth. I mean, you look at where they are at safety. They got Byard and Cyprian, and that's great. After that, it's Curtis Riley, who's a converted corner, and he's not a bad player. Brendan Trawick, who can play safety, but he's more of a special teams player. Kalen Reed has occasionally played safety. Denzel Johnson was an undrafted a year ago out of TCU. I mean, they're going to have to replace Cersei. Yeah, I, I would agree with that, but I think that's a good thing heading into this offseason we've been around here you know at times where you're you're looking to fill four or five starter spots and way things play out with with Klein as we talked about and and Avery as we talked about and we got to see what it has with Daquan Jones as well another guy who's scheduled to be an unrestricted free agent but for the most part you're looking for depth and I think that's the case at safety uh, I think uh, it could be at linebacker again depending on what happens with Avery some good inside linebackers uh, in this draft. Oh, yeah. I mean, some guys who will get after you, some guys who are potential three-down linebackers, some guys who people around here are familiar with from the days in the SEC. So uh, free agency is going to dictate maybe what happens in some of these cases and where, where they're filled. The Titans' moves in letting go of Castle, Weems, Murray, and Searcy, probably more moves than we thought the Titans would make and probably ensuring – that the Titans are going to be really active in free agency. Now, I'm not saying they're going to try to sign the biggest money guys, and maybe they will, but I, I think they're going to have a lot of guys in and out of St. Thomas Sports Park and have a lot of discussion. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I mean, we've been around here before where these moves had to be made to get under the cap. That's not the case this year. I mean, these guys are either not a good fit or they're done for financial reasons. But they do create holes that you're going to want to fill and you're going to want to see these guys in the camps that start in April. Uh, you're going to want to see them you know, 
compete in the veteran mini camps, be here throughout the OTAs. These are not going to be spots necessarily you're going to want to wait till closer to the season to fill. You want to get these guys in here and get them acclimated to a new system and a coaching staff. Uh, and John Robinson was, even though some of the players that were signed early in free agency last year weren't necessarily big money guys, but he, he was very active early on in finding specific needs and filling them. And last year, the early, the early concerns were to address special teams. I have a question for the both of you, and I genuinely don't know the answer. The Titans have some big-ticket things on the horizon. Taylor Lewan's contract will be up. Marcus Mariota's contract is going to be up. These are coming up in years to come. Do you think that knowing those things are looming impacts free agency and the way that money is allocated this year? I don't think there's any question. Yeah, I mean, I think so. I mean, I, I think that has something to do with it. I, and I'll go back to what John Robinson said to you at the season ticket uh, member event uh, last month when uh, when you kind of ask him, why not go Bob Barker style and, and spend all the money? <laughs> well, you know, people yeah. ask us that, <laughs> yeah. all of yeah. us. Mm-hmm. They ask us all the time, you got $50 million, why don't you spend it? Yeah, So and you don't do it, like John said, is because of, you know, a situation because of Marcus looming and because of Taylor Lewan's uh, contract situation looming and because you want to keep some options open if somebody becomes available that you don't know is going to be available so you can have money to make a trade. So uh, I, I think all of those things factor in. I mean, there's money to spend. You can still be pretty aggressive in free agency, still make a big splash, but you've got to, but you also realize some big things are on the horizon. Good question. Thanks. Jim White, thank you so much. Appreciate it. How will the other AFC South teams approach free agency? Well, we visited with three great reporters from the AFC South while we were at the Combine. Got updates on the Texans, Colts, and Jaguars. Now, I'm going to warn you, some of the salary cap numbers that we talk about might be slightly different as teams have re-signed players, extended players, cut players. But this conversation will give you a general idea of really what to expect from the Titans' rivals as free agency begins next week. Let's take them in alphabetical order. That means Houston opens. Aaron Wilson covers the Houston Texans for the Houston Chronicle. Welcome to the official Titans podcast. Thanks. Great to be on it. All right. Let's go through the statistics about the Texans. We have them at approximately $66 million under the cap. Reasonably accurate? Yes, very reasonably accurate. They have positioned themselves to be an aggressive player in free agency. All right, and draft-wise, eight overall picks, but none until round three when the Texans have three third-round selections. Yeah, thanks to the A.J. Boye not getting him back in free agency. They are being compensated with that. It was a giant contract, uh, five years, $67.5 million. Then he made the Pro Bowl, so they definitely earned that third-round compensatory. The unfortunate thing for them, just not having that ammunition and what looks like a pretty good draft, not having a first-round or second-round pick because they traded twice with the Browns last year, once with Brock Osweiler sending him there and then unloading that bad contract and then acquiring Deshaun Watson. I would say getting Deshaun Watson, quite worthwhile, but yeah, they just don't have, you know, this year, they don't have that kind of flexibility. Aaron, you've already alluded to the fact that they will be aggressive players when free agency starts on March the 14th. What positions or spots overall do you think they attack when free agency begins? Offensive line, secondary, and then to a lesser extent, the tight end position. And that's where they're gonna be on more of a budget but they may have to set the offensive line market. When you look at their offensive line, it's very deficient because they only have one guy, Nick Martin, who's coming off ankle surgery, 
that I think would start for the other teams. When you look at their guard situation, Jeff Allen, Xavier Suofilo is a free agent, hasn't really you know, lived up to the promise of being a second-round pick. They don't have a true left tackle since they traded Dwayne Brown. And you've got to protect Deshaun Watson. This is a very valuable dual-threat quarterback coming off a torn ACL. So it's pivotal that they throw money at that position and that they choose wisely and that they're competitive for you know, the Andrew Norwells or the Justin Pugh's or the Nate Solders if they get out there. But, yeah, that and the secondary, they went from being the you know, second in pass defense the year before to ranking last in the NFL in points allowed per game. So they were very vulnerable, and you're already hearing buzz around the combine, you know, hint, hint, wink, wink, nod, nod, that they are going to, you know, be involved in a lot of things, especially once you can officially start doing stuff. But, yeah, there's a lot of buzz about the Texans. They don't have the most money, but they have enough money, like you said, to, you know, really make some bids on guys. And I think they've got to buy a lot of their roster because they don't have those high draft picks. On the defensive side of the ball, they were a little banged up last year. How do you think that's going to impact some of the decisions that they're making in free agency and in the draft going forward? I think that they're going to bet on the good rehab that's been happening for J.J. Watt and also for Whitney Merciless. That kind of flew under the radar, but Whitney is a really valuable player and Torres Pectoral. And I think if you talk to you know Coach Vrabel, he would say, oh, wow, he's a big Whitney Merciless fan. He's really instrumental in the development of Whitney. And having Whitney back would be gigantic for them. I think just as big as having J.J. Watt back. So that would, you know, to your question, I think it would be speak to them not wanting to invest in the front seven very much because they are set there. They've got Jadavian Clowney. They've got J.J. Watt. They've got Whitney Merciless. You know, who knows what J.J. will be like. I don't think even he could answer that question because – He's only played a few games the past couple of years, and you know it looks like his body's giving out on him. But maybe there's something left, and I know he definitely has a spirit. We'll see if his body's willing. It's a, uh, you know, been very frustrating for him because he's a had a really gruesome broken leg. But those heal. The back thing, I felt like he, you know, I watched him practice. I watched the preseason. I thought he'd made all the way back from that. He just wasn't as explosive as he once was, and I think he was rusty too. But I thought he was starting to work his way back, and then he has a terrible injury that's sort of a freak accident kind of thing. Amy and, Amy and I were talking about that, something we were worried about on his behalf, playing in eight games only over the last two years. Do the Texans worry about that? They do. They do. And they don't like to publicly say, well, we need to get a replacement. You know, they're not going to do that. And there's a public relations aspect to it, too, because he's such a you know hero in the city of Houston. And he's been such a good guy. I mean, he's, you know, been, you know, the best player in franchise history and one of the best defensive players in NFL history. So how do you just say, well, JJ, you know, you're expensive now. You didn't play that many games. So we're going to be like kind of cold blooded. No, they're going to be sentimental. They're going to give him every opportunity. They can afford him under the salary cap, but at some point might things come to a head or might he say, and this is, I think more likely if he just, you know, has another year where he just can't be healthy would he say to himself, you know what, I'm not doing a fourth comeback. I'm, you know, this is, this is it. And maybe he would retire early. I'm just speculating. I'm not uh, speaking to or reporting anything. I'm just wondering if sure. because of pride, if J.J. Watt might decide, hey, you know what, I need to walk away. Right now he's not at that point, and I don't think that – I think he will play football this year. But, you know, he has a lot to consider, his long-term health and all those things. But 
his rehab's going fine. I just don't expect him to do very much in the offseason. But I think when it comes training camp, he'll be out there practicing. He's only 29, right? Right, he's but not he's older super. 29 because, and you know, a lot of this was just because he didn't want to come off the field and also how they utilized him. He was playing over 90% of the snaps. And I had a, a guy, a friend of mine from another team say, compare his snaps. I didn't actually do the study, but to other top Pro Bowl guys, they get rested more. He was playing, I think, you know, whatever it's too much or not, but I think it's got to be a factor. It's definitely aged him because he's played, he was playing almost every snap. And that's a lot for a defensive lineman that's in the trenches because he plays inside a lot. So he's, you know, headbutting with big 330-pound linemen all the time, and it took a toll. All right, let's end with this. A different dynamic with the front office. Rick Smith and Bill O'Brien, it had been rumored, we're not on the same page for a long time. Rick Smith takes a leave of absence from his general manager job. He's replaced by Brian Gain. Two parts. What is the dynamic now in terms of the front office and the coach decision making? And number two, as we head into free agency and towards the draft, could we notice the Gain O'Brien pairing give the Texans a little different edge in terms of how they look at players and what they look for? You're right on it because. The Rick Smith-Bill O'Brien relationship had never been a strong one, but it had really become toxic, and they did not get along, and they weren't communicating well. And it was not just with Rick, only about his wife. And it's a really sad thing. His wife has cancer, but it was a you know office dynamic of, and an interpersonal thing with him and Bill O'Brien, just where they didn't mesh. And Brian Gain, though, and Bill O'Brien are very – very good friends and they get along well and they have similar backgrounds where Brian worked for Bill Parcells for three different teams that's his mentor well Bill Parcells was the guy that coached up Bill Belichick that's who Bill O'Brien worked for in New England so they have a lot of similar philosophies about roster building and kind of the toughness and the personal character and things they look for and I think they're going to be in lockstep they have the same agent uh, Bill was on the search committee Brian was the favorite from the beginning to land the job and he did. And he also impressed the McNair family when they went and looked at his evaluations. What did he think about some of the players on the roster? What were his opinions? Did they bear out? Was he right about players? So that reinforced the notion that also when they met with him that, you know, he would stand up to Bill if they didn't agree. You know, he would tell him, hey, you know, I don't, I don't think so. I don't think this is a good idea. And just have his own opinion, not just, you know, be a puppet or anything. And, yeah, Brian is a strong personality, too. But they just seem to have a better mesh. In fact, Bill O'Brien, uh, when I asked him about this yesterday, was talking about them both being from the East Coast. Uh, Brian's a New Yorker. Bill's from Boston. Obviously, the cities have a little rivalry. But there's also just kind of a shared uh, mentality that I think you see with those two guys. Bill probably having a little stronger personality and Brian being a little more, a little more laid back, possibly. We move next to the Indianapolis Colts, and joining us from the Indianapolis Star is Stephen Holder. Thank you for being with us. Thanks for having me again. All right, now, we're going to run through sort of the basics going on as Indianapolis, to me, might be the team with the most off-season flexibility of any team in the National Football League. Here's why. Roughly $79 million in available cap room, give or take a buck. Right. Okay. Upper, I'm in the upper 70 million. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm in the vicinity. Yeah. All right. A draft pick in every round. So they have seven picks, 
A high pick in every round. A high pick in every round, starting at number three in a draft where they don't, or at least we don't think, they need a quarterback. Correct. Ostensibly. So the phone line has got to be open, and Chris Ballard, the general manager, has to think he woke up and it's Christmas morning. Yeah, it's kind of one of the first breaks he's probably caught, okay, because it's been one thing after another for the guy. I mean, I, I think in, in a few moments of honesty, he has admitted to, man, what a year has it been for me. So, so yeah, I think I would agree with that. And obviously, it's all about what you do with the, the resources, but they have resources. And, and that's something they did not really have at their disposal last year uh, when he walked in the door. And there was so much work to do that even with the resources you had, you can only do so much. So, so look, they still have a long way to go. They, they were 4-12. and 12. They have miles and miles to go. But they, two things, they have already started this rebuild process. So it's, they're not completely starting from scratch. And they, they like the coaching hire. Uh, I, I think I like what Frank Reich wants to do and, and the innovation that he may bring. So now they have a plan, and they have the resources, and they kind of have you know, not an opportunity now to put all that together and see what they can do with it. So it is really an opportunity for them. Talk to me about positions of need. What are some of the biggest places that you see within the Indianapolis Colts where they should really be investing? Okay, so it's a great question. So it's, it's interesting. The first thing Chris Ballard did was he came in and he retooled the defense. And you guys have seen the defense over the years. It got old, really old, really slow and it just had to be done, right? So he completely overhauled that entire unit last year. Now, they're not done, but they had on opening day, eh, depending on how you count them, like nine new starters on defense last year. So that's a completely overhauled unit, and that will continue. But what happened is now, in the meantime, the offense really now is at a point where there's a lot of work to be done. So that 2012 draft class, that was great for them for some time. Most of those guys are not in the building anymore. So you're talking about Andrew Luck and T.Y. Hilton, obviously having the longevity there, but guys like Dwayne Allen and Kobe Fleener and, and that crew, they're all gone. So so the, the big pieces they acquired that year, they're not there anymore. And the offense, I don't want to say it's been neglected, but there have been some misses and there have been some some maybe you know opportunities that they didn't take advantage of. And so now you find yourself, that's the NFL, right? You're constantly augmenting your team so they find themselves in a position where they have a lot of work to do on offense so the positions I would say are receiver running back offensive line obviously they need a lot of work so those are the keys for me if they can hit on some guys in those spots they're going to have an opportunity if Andrew Luck's healthy to really hit the ground running let's ask the Andrew Luck question the assumption is right on track and, and some people would say, well, we kept hearing last offseason, everything's great. You know, it's, it's the line from Animal House, remain calm, all is well. Um, <laughs> do we really think that? And you guys have written, everything I've read from the star indicates you believe that Andrew Luck is on track. I think you can only go by the available evidence. And, and everything, everything privately and publicly and, and every indication shows that, that the signs are very, very good. Now, we did learn a lesson last year that in spite of that very scenario, good signs and, and everything seemingly on track, things can go wrong. The, and it can change. It can change. And the human body, as it turns out, is really complicated. And so I learned more about, you know, shoulders than I ever wanted to know and, and the inner workings of shoulders. And, and, and as I've learned and the Colts have learned, and I'm sure Andrew Luck knows better than anybody, 
it's really complicated in there. There's a lot going on in that shoulder, so or any of our shoulders. And so what's happened is they fixed the labrum. The problem is he he picked up some, some bad techniques and so forth from playing hurt from a couple of years, and that exacerbated some issues elsewhere in the shoulder. So a lot of what he's done since getting shut down last year was aimed at correcting those issues uh, because those can be detrimental to him going forward. So that's, I think, the, the, the gist of what's happening right now. So that's a good sign, though, because that means they're not dealing with the original issue. They're trying to fix associated issues. So I, I know it sounds terrible, and I believe me. I mean, it, it's, I can't even believe we're still having this conversation. Trust me. Um, I'm ready to move on with my life. <laughs> but that being said, that is, a, that is a very big, important piece of news that it, it's not the original issue here. They're trying to fix, like I said, sort of associated issues, and, and that is toward the latter end of the process. So, yes, they're proceeding like he's going to be okay, and unless they are just completely reckless, then they must know something. So operating under the assumption that Andrew Luck will be back in the 2018 season, he's going to need somebody to throw to. Yeah. And from my evaluation, you've got T.Y. Hilton, and then there's kind of a drop-off, and then we've got some other people. How do the Colts address that? Is free agency the way to go? Is the draft the way to go? What do you think? It's, it's not kind of a drop-off. It just, it just drops off completely. It's a I was click. trying to be yeah. nice. No, we can, we can be honest. And <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, I, I think you're right. And so here's, here's their deal. Last year, okay, a couple things happened. So they have, they've tried to, like a lot of teams, you know, that third receiver spot is always tough. You're, you don't want to spend too much money. Maybe you don't want to go out and spend, like, you know, a first or second round pick. So you try to do it on the cheap or, or do it, you know, through other means. And they've tried to do that for, like, the last, it seems like, eight years. And they always come up short. So <laughs> I think it's time to really invest a little more there. And the, I say number three because number two was supposed to be Dante Moncrief. Now, last year was a huge year for him in terms of opportunity. It's a contract year. So I think we were all waiting for it to happen. So, okay, well, this is, if he's ever going to show up, it has to be this year. And he didn't show up. And it was very, very disappointing. And I, I know the Colts were – I think they had realistic expectations, but they really thought he would give them more. And, look, I'm not going to rule out his being resigned just because the market is very, very poor. And I don't know what their options are. But that being said, I don't expect it. So – that's going to be, I think, a position where they have to invest resources, to your question, both in free agency and the draft. All right, here's what I'm afraid of from the Titans' perspective. I'm afraid that at number one, Cleveland takes a quarterback. And I'm afraid at number two, the Giants take a quarterback. And then I'm afraid at number three, the Colts don't take Bradley Chubb. I'm afraid they take Saquon Barkley and bring him into this division to take the pressure off their offensive line, to take the pressure off of Andrew Luck, and put this fantastic talent playing on turf where he's going to run in the four threes at 230 pounds, what, 12, 13, 10 times, scary. whatever it is. Yeah. It's scary. That's my fear from the Titans' perspective. Do I have a reason to be afraid? It's not my expectation, okay? But, I mean, you can't make a more compelling case than you just made, yeah, right? Don't tell them. Good job, Mike. <laughs> yeah, Thanks. Yeah, so, Thanks for that. So, you know, 
I, I'll play this for Chris Ballard and do you that favor. I know you're dying for him to hear this. Yes. So <laughs> I, I actually, listen, I think the odds are in that scenario you painted, I think the odds are they go Bradley Chubb. However, and I'll tell you why, just because, as everybody knows, where do you find the pass rusher? Right. You find them in the top ten, right? Or, I mean, I went back and looked at the all-pro selections from the past few years, and I could only find, like, one guy who was drafted beyond the second round. It's crazy. So it is what it is, and history shows. Those guys, they're just not available anywhere else. They're certainly not in free agency. So I, that, that argument is, is very foolproof. But, but sometimes we, like, overthink this. It's like, okay, you know what, you know what value is? Getting a hell of a player, <laughs> okay? <laughs> like, he's really good, like, amazingly good, and he's going to be on your team potentially. Well, that's, that's, that's value. It's not a bad time to be an Indianapolis Colt. I'd say for you, Stephen, <laughs> no. covering this team, free agency and the draft and, and all that has gone on, starting with the Josh McDaniels thing, I would think it's going to be, when it's all said and done, the most interesting offseason you have ever had covering the Colts. Yeah, I actually I wrote a story recently saying this is going to be, this is their most pivotal offseason since 2012. And, <clears throat> excuse me, that offseason obviously was humongous for obvious reasons. I mean, all the changes down to acquiring Andrew Luck. So, I mean, you know, that was one of the most pivotal off-seasons in team history. Well, this one is on that level because what you're going to have a similar turnover in terms of players. You've got new coaches. You've got a, a new defensive scheme, certainly new offensive scheme. Everything's going to be new. And, and I think they have the resources that they have enabled them to, to get some difference-making players who two, three, four years from now we might be looking back and saying, man, wow. What a haul that was, right? And, and so, you know, they've got to make good on it, but they have an opportunity to have a similar sort of offseason. I agree. Ryan O'Halloran, Florida Times Union. He covers the AFC South champion, Jacksonville Jaguars. How many years now, Ryan? This will be year seven. I started in 2012, and the first five years they won two, four, three, five. Then up to 10 this year. So as, as somebody who covers, I mean, you don't root, but it is better. It is more interesting, particularly when you've had the same storyline for five years in a row, to get to have a year like that and to get to go see it, cover a team in the AFC Championship game. Yeah, it's what's the old phrase, uh, you know, high tides raise all boats. That's right. Uh, mm -hmm. I mean, our web traffic was up. The TV ratings exploded. And it. Um, that said, when they left Nashville that night, when they found out they were playing Buffalo in the locker room, they didn't want to face Tennessee again, I don't think. I mean, that would have been a tough matchup the next week, but the fact they won a playoff game, okay, that was the breakthrough. Pittsburgh, that was a bonus. And then they should have beat New England. They should have beaten New England. All right, let me, let me hit the, the high points here to begin with. Roughly $32 million in cap room, mm -hmm. somewhere in that yeah. vicinity. And then eight draft picks. I've, I've been trying seven they don't have a fifth they don't have a fifth they I got two sixes okay yeah so you know they got a pretty mm -hmm. good quantity first pick at 29 mm -hmm. so that's unusual for them compared to where they've been and i don't say yeah. that facetiously it's the truth it's a yeah. it's a big difference the bortles contract why was it so valuable to the organization that they went ahead and made that deal with blake bortles their quarterback couple things on that and I'll start by saying I thought the the route was going to be pick up the option okay you made some strides in 17 let's sh see it again in 18 and maybe mid-year you revisit it they didn't have to do this for cap space uh, that was you know a bonus that they went from 19 to 10 
But I think it boils down to it's the devil you know. Um, had Alex Smith still been available on the trade market, that would have been interesting. But I think when he got hooked up with the Redskins, they did not want to go with Cousins, pursue Cousins, excuse me, and have to make a decision on Bortles and then maybe end up with neither. Well, because Cousins is going to take visits. He is not He is not going to do something at 12.01 on the 14th is, is what we're hearing. Yeah, and to me that was, when that was reported, that was the cinching for me is I'm sure Mike McCarthy, uh, Cousins' agent, told the Jags, hey, this is not going to be March 14th at 4.01. We're going to take our time with this. Jags don't have time. Um, other teams may, but that plus the combination. Hey, Blake did play better this year. Um, you know, 60% of his passes were completed. Turnovers were a little bit down. So maybe with a second year in the system with Nate Hackett, you can take a little bit of a step and then ride that running game and that defense back to the division title. From an offensive standpoint, there has to be a, a comfort in the consistency of having the same guy back there, being able to build upon what they have done as opposed to exploding something that wasn't as successful as the defensive side of the ball, but got them very far throughout the year. Yeah, they were first in the league in rushing. It just never felt like it. Uh, they were sixth in scoring. It just never really felt like it because I think they scored, what, seven defensive touchdowns to pad that total. But you, know, you look at it from the Jaguars' perspective, would you want to start over with a Case Keenum, Sam Bradford, or a draft pick, or stick with Bortles for another at least another year and maybe two years? I think they felt like that kind of continuity was the key. You know, with another year of Leonard Fournette, you, you free up some money to maybe improve your offensive line, maybe take care of Allen Robinson, who's going to be a free agent. So I think they felt like they wouldn't they won't think they would admit this. I think they relied too much on their defense last year to sort of bail them out. And I'll, I'll use that second Titans game as an example. The offense wasn't doing anything. Yet it's almost like the de they're waiting for the defense to score a touchdown, which they did to get back in the game. And all of a sudden, how, is, how are they in this game? You can't, you can't roll those dice every week. Overall, do they need anything on defense mm -hmm. in the draft? The only thing right now is nickel. Um, Aaron Colvin. They need a, a nickel. Wow. <laughs> I mean, let's think about that. that. What a statement that is yeah. about their personnel. Yeah, I mean, a lot of drafts, a lot of free agents. What they should do is Aaron Colvin probably isn't going to get outside corner money because he's only played inside. If you can lock him up. Outside of Paul Pozlesny, your same 11 may be intact. The key for them is looking ahead. After the 18th season, Jalen Ramsey, Yannick Ngakwe, Miles Jack, all eligible for extensions. That's going to impact their spending this year. Also, you got to build some depth because after 18, Marcel Darius, Calais Campbell, Malik Jackson, all could be cap casualties. So as much as you're going to keep this group together now, you got to look toward 19 and say there is going to be a little bit of a changing of the guard. On the offensive side of the ball, where are some areas that you really feel they need to put their resources into? The key one is Allen Robinson. Uh, 14 touchdowns tied for the league lead back in 15. ACL first week of the season this year, okay? I don't think you can let him walk out of the building because without him, you have rookies and then what? So then you're going to maybe use a draft pick on a receiver when you shouldn't have to. So. I still think the Jaguars are at this stage where you can't let very good players walk out the door. Uh, you can't thank them for their service and say, go ahead. But I think they should get something done there. If not, do you sign a Paul Richardson or a John Brown? Do you draft a Calvin Ridley at 29? The other thing is that you need a tight end that can pa uh, catch passes. Marseille Lewis, 13th year guy, he's more of a mauler red zone guy than a guy who can stretch the field. 
The other thing is, and I think they may be laying in the weeds on this one, is interior offensive line. Maybe that's where they create, why they created some cap space with Bortles. Gets, you know, maybe one or two guards, maybe a free agent and a draft pick because, let's face it, what's going to be in the front of their minds the entire offseason, they led the Patriots 20-10 to 10 on the road with a berth in the Super Bowl 10 minutes away. They could not run it. And that's going to be the sign of the offseason is they got to fix that. One of the things that changed about last year that we haven't brought up yet is the addition of Tom Coughlin to the team. Right. How much of his persona, his personality, was infused into this team just with him being around and being so close to the program? Well, it's always interesting. Is he's on the he's on the practice field every day. He has a script. So if you're like somebody just visiting town, you're like, was he like the assistant head coach or something like that? But. You only, you only saw him talking to the quarterbacks, which is his specialty. He was receivers with the Giants under Parcells, but then quarterbacks most of the time. You talk to players throughout the year, he didn't talk to the team. You know, he Because he, I think that's what helped Doug Marone is Tom Coughlin knows what a meddling front office executive would look like, so he stayed out of the way. He's here for the big decisions, which is free agency, quarterback, top of the draft, but also I think he's there for supporting the coaching staff. and. It wasn't one thing Dave Caldwell, the general manager, said. I said, how did your role change with Tom's presence? He said, allowed him to focus more on personnel because Tom handled the day-to-day stuff as, opposed, as, as it pertains to the coaching staff. Okay, what about this guy? What about this scheme? So, you know, he's definitely in the background, but uh, his presence is definitely felt. First-place schedule. Something uh, – that only impacts two games, but it certainly adds two tough opponents and – I think every AFC South team has a tougher go of it this year with the matchups than what they had a year ago, and Jacksonville has a little more. Yeah, and I think you hit on the key point is the divisions they play are tougher. The two first-place games are Pittsburgh at home. Well, they beat the Steelers twice Twice. last year. The other road game first place is Kansas City. They look like they're in the middle of a reboot, and maybe if you get them early, you can get against Mahomes before he gets going. But they got New England at home. They play Philadelphia in London, um, you know, Dallas on the road. So the schedule's tougher. They're not going to be able to sneak up on anybody. Probably same thing with the Titans. Right. And so um, if they, you know, if they don't, if they start one and two or they maybe limp the two and three, okay, can they, can they not so much flip the switch, but can they lean on what they did well last year to get it back going, uh, you know, for this year? Our thanks to Aaron Wilson with the Houston Chronicle, Stephen Holder with the Indianapolis Star, and Ryan O'Halloran of the Florida Times-Union. If you want to keep up with the Titans' opponents in the AFC South, we recommend you follow these gentlemen on Twitter, at Aaron Wilson underscore NFL, at Holder Stephen, Stephen is spelled with a P-H, and at Ryan O'Halloran, O'Halloran spelled O-H-A-L-L-O-R-A-N. Nice. A lot of letters. The next edition of the OTP will be ready next Friday. We originally said Thursday, but intentionally misled you. No, no, no. I'm lying. Actually, we just changed our mind. With free agency starting Wednesday afternoon, we knew that it might not make sense to put something up on Thursday and then have free agency news come along that makes the OTP out of date very quickly. Thus, the next official Titans podcast will be broadcast ready Next Friday, March the 16th, our own Jim Wyatt will be back to break all of the free agent news down with us. So that'll be exciting. 
It will be. I like the up-to-date aspect of it. The good thinking, Mike. The up-to-date aspect is a good thing. Say good night, Amy. Good night, guys. Thanks very much. For Amy Wells, I'm Mike Keith. Thanks for being with us on the OTP number two.